Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Music Therapy Show. I am Janice Lindstrom, the host and producer of this show for the last seven and a half years. And uh, today is Friday, December 18th, 2015. It's the last show of the year, and I'm with Dr. Megan Mascow, my favorite co-host for the Journal Club. <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the year, we got two journals to read. So this this month, we're talking about Music Therapy Perspectives, Volume 33, Number 2. And then next month, we, at the end of the month, we're going to talk about the new uh, Journal of Music Therapy that came out that is still in its plastic wrapper on my desk at the current time. So let's dive in. All right. Um, this is... An edition of Music Therapy Perspectives, it's volume 33, number two, that really focuses on music therapy and mental health, which is, as you know, a, has always been a big part of the music therapy world and um, is certainly still. So we start out with an article written by Dr. Lillian. Is it Ayer? Ayer? Oh, that sounds sure. right to me. Ed Maculata. And um, which was really just an introduction to the the editorial is an introduction to this particular journal because the concept and the idea of music therapy and mental health is uh, is presented from another a number of different viewpoints. So it was nice to have this little bit of introduction to say here are sort of the different components you're about to encounter, but their underlying theme is about music therapy and mental health. So I thought that was a, a lovely introduction. So that's a good actual, introduction, and I'm kind of excited about this edition because next fall I'll get to teach a music therapy methods course on psychiatric settings. So I'm interested to find out how I'm going to dive deeper into this article, into these articles, and determine how I want to use them in my class next fall. So I'm excited. Yeah, and mine's actually next semester, so I'm really excited because oh. this couldn't have come out at a better time. <laughs> And well, all good, of my students are required to be members. <laughs> yeah, Yay. all of my students are required to be members of AMTA, so I know they all get the huh. journal. Excellent. They are. We make it a textbook. All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, belonging to your professional association is important. It's a good habit to encourage, encourage from an early stage of development. So the first article that we have is by Nancy, uh, excuse me, by Dr. Nancy Jackson from Indiana University, Purdue University, Fort Wayne. And it's music therapy and chronic mental illness overcoming the silent symptoms. And if you uh, work with folks who have chronic mental illness, you understand that what she's talking about. So issues of stigma and loneliness, um, Dr. Jackson talks about specifically. And she talks about positive psychology and chronic mental illness. And so positive psychology is uh, reminds me actually a lot of music therapy where rather than focusing on the deficits, we look at what the strengths of our clients are and the positives, and we uh, focus on those so that the person can hopefully be lead a happier and more fulfilling life. Um, and so the, she presented some vignettes, some clinical vignettes, which I personally found really fascinating. Um, I always find it fascinating to read about somebody else's clinical practice from a little bit different viewpoint. Um, so the first vignette focused on um, improvisation as a way to build a relationship between two clients with which she was working. 
and how that musical interaction provided a nonverbal way for two clients to communicate with each other and really develop a strong emotional bond and ultimately really become a support system for one another um, to the point where when they were getting ready for discharge and were looking for supportive housing, they really wanted to be near each other so they could continue to uh, be a support for one another. So when we talk about loneliness, and we talk about stigma, here you have two people who are able to support one another they rec- and challenge one another, and they recognize that, that they're ill, that there should be no stigma attached to an illness. Um, the well, second they were vignette, in different parts. They were in two different yeah. places in their, in their process. One was newly diagnosed, yeah. and the other one had, had been dealing with this mental illness diagnosis for a long time. And I thought the yeah. vignettes were great too, because it described, it helped me to get a glimpse as to what it can be like for our clients that have mental illnesses. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a little bit different perspective um, because I do I do have um, a family member who, you know, lives with, I don't want to say struggles with, but really lives with, you know, chronic mental illness. She's very open and honest about it. She's a public educator about mental illness. Um and so, you know, unless you have that opportunity to live with somebody and love somebody and really work with somebody like that, you know, it's hard to be able to see the world from another person's perspective. So, you know, Dr. Jackson does a fantastic job of, of painting opportunities for us to sort of understand our clients a little bit more. Absolutely. It's true. And I have a family member that has a mental illness, too, and I struggle to love her. So I'll be honest about that. But this this helps me to get some perspective and to um, reframe some of our relationship, too. Yeah, absolutely. So the second vignette was about um, a woman who had suffered from, I love she calls it, misdiagnosed bipolar disorder. And, uh, and you know, again... <laughs> How many times how many times have we seen our clients go from diagnosis to diagnosis, medication to medication, you know? That I think that sentence right there just struck a chord with me. Um, but she talks about improvisation again and how this woman improvises actually what turns out to be this really beautiful personal anthem on page ninety four. Um and and actually the she says that Cynthia suddenly stopped and looked at the music therapist with a look of complete surprise. It had never dawned on her that she could envision herself in a way, in any way other than as a mentally ill person. And what an amazing tool music is to be able to help facilitate those kinds of realizations. That 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 particular yeah. vignette really sort of blew me away. Yeah, me too. I like yeah. that. And then the last one was about uh, a group that finds opportunities for performance and how they um, use really, they're getting ready for a performance, right? So it's product-oriented music therapy, but um, they really learn a lot from the process of getting, getting the product ready and how they, you know, start to see themselves as people beyond an illness and how they're able to use then the music and their performance to start to build relationships within a community, again, to help address those issues of loneliness, and because they're building these relationships, they start to break down those issues of stigma. I I thoroughly enjoyed that article. 
I also thoroughly enjoyed the next article. Do you have anything else you want to say about Dr. Jackson's article? Nope, that was good. All right, let's move on to Xander. So next, we have a lot of we have a lot of doctors in this uh, edition of <laughs> Music Therapy Perspective. Next, <laughs> next we have Dr. Xanders from Texas Women's University, Michael Xanders. Um, I this is music therapy practices and processes with foster care youth formulating an approach to clinical work. I'm going to tell you that probably out of all of the articles in this rather hefty edition of Music Therapy Perspectives, this article really resonated with me the most. And it's probably because I did, I spent a year working at the Iowa Juvenile Home and State Training School for Girls. And I worked with a lot of clients who, you know, their life stories are very similar to the, the young man that is described in this article. Um, so I, so if we're talking, you know, uh, psychiatric music therapy and all that, you know, I, I, I think I had a lot of transference <laughs> with this article because I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, yes, I feel like I know this child. You know, I feel like I know this client because I'm pretty sure that I worked with somebody very similar to this um, when I was an intern. So the article is a, a case study um, about working with, a 13-year-old young man who has had a very difficult life um, going in and out of foster care, lots of familial issues, issues of, of abuse, which, you know, not and uh, familial issues with substance abuse and other psychiatric disorders, you know, not surprisingly has issues with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, you know, for any kid bouncing around in the foster yeah, care system is very difficult. For them, I mean, just bouncing around in the foster care system alone makes it very difficult to establish, you know, trusting relationships and develop oh, yeah. emotionally and psychologically. Um, so, I really, what I appreciated about this article was how well um, Dr. Zanders explains the therapeutic process, and um, and also I really found helpful says talks about sort of his issues and trying to figure out, you know, what's the goal? What's the objective? What's the process going to be like? Um, so I, I did appreciate that. And I, I also really um, found it fascinating how and instructive, how clearly Dr. Zanders laid out the therapeutic process, what happened in the therapeutic process, how he incorporated the family into the therapeutic process, um, and then you know what, and and then what he learned, reflecting back on that process. For me, um, one thing that I talk about with students a lot is the role of music in creating an environment and a structure within which people can function. And on page ninety nine. Dr. Zanders gives a beautiful example of this where he's talking about trying to teach John how to breathe because he's so anxious and he has so much stress that he can't even physically take a deep breath and then release it. And so um, he talk, uh, Dr. Zanders talks about using, I believe it's the Wiro, to provide a visual and musical cue to help him see his breathing. Um, and then he talks about using a chord progression, suspension, to help 
create a harmonic structure within which this young man can practice breathing in a mindful way. And I know for me as a teacher, when I talk to students about how to strategically use dissonance and harmony, this is this is an example I'm going to pull out to show them because it, he um, discusses it so eloquently. Uh-huh. Um, and then he talks about the need to teach this young man, to help this young man learn how to identify and express, express emotions um, without closing himself off, and then how to connect his emotions to thoughts and behavior. I think for me what's really beautiful about this article is I don't know if he meant to do that or not, but Dr. Zanders really takes a very eclectic theoretical approach. At least it's written in such a way that it seems like it's a very eclectic theoretical approach, meaning that it's a very actually it's a very integrative approach. Eclectic's probably not the right term. It's very integrated. You know, there are definitely aspects of the psychodynamic theoretical approach that get used. Definitely parts of cognitive behavioral therapy, creative music therapy, um, behavioral music therapy. I mean, all of these different approaches really get blended together quite beautifully to construct what, at least on paper, looks to be a very effective therapeutic process for a client in deep distress. Um, so, again, next semester when I'm teaching... <laughs> When I'm teaching my class and I tell students, let's, you know, because we talk about examples of integrative therapeutic approaches, this is definitely one I'm going to pull out and, and have them analyze, you know, what are the different, what are the different theoretical approaches you see here um, and then how do they work together? Because, you know, Dr. Zanders uh, does an excellent job of laying out what happened in this process and providing very good theoretical understanding for it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, next one is not a doctor. Okay. Um, <laughs> but a pretty darn fantastic clinician. Um, so we have the client experiences in music therapy in the psychiatric inpatient milieu, which is one of my favorite words in the whole world. Um <laughs> And I think any anybody who's listening who went to the University of Iowa and got to take a class from Dr. Kate Gefeller and got to hear her say the word milieu will understand. There is something about the way she pronounces it. It is just lovely. It I, I don't know what it is. It's the most it is the loveliest diction I've ever heard. I don't know. Um, it's I think it's one of those you have to be a Hawkeye to understand it. Um, Maybe so. So yeah, I know. I know. So for for this particular article, um, Scott McDonald looked at uh, the, I believe he interviewed, yep, this is the right article, um, interviewed six participants, so people who had attended at least one music therapy group within, during their hospitaliz- hospitalization. So these were folks who were hospitalized on an inpatient psychiatric unit. Um, who at the time of their discharge were interviewed about their experiences in music therapy. And um, Mr. McDonald, since I called everybody else a doctor, we'll go with Mr. Um, Mr. Right. McDonald. <laughs> I know, I know, get into a, get into a routine. Uh, so Mr. McDonald talks about um, doing the interviews and the epistemology and the epistemology that 
uh, he's using here is phenomenology, and you can learn all about that. Actually, does a great has a fantastic explanation of epistemology. I'm going to skip to the results section because I think that's the part that's really interesting. So, in uh, there were interviews, the qualitative analysis, and looked at the themes that emerged. And I think if you've ever worked in inpatient psychiatry or inpatient behavioral health, these will seem familiar to you. So the 16 themes were releasing stress, music acts as a healing balm, has a healing quality, um, that music therapy allowed participants the opportunity to, they had a sense of uh, clarity that they were able to concentrate, um, that the music therapy groups provided a safe space for being able to um, you know, think essentially about being able to have good intrapersonal experiences. It was a safe place for them to be able to have those experiences. Um, providing opportunities for shared experiences. That it seemed like there was a mutual desire for support. Um, and again, you know, music therapists will sit around and go, yeah, you know, when you see a group of people really, really making music together on any kind of level, you know, when people really start to make music together, there is this, you know, you begin to mutually support one another. Um, mm-hmm. The intrinsic value of music. Um, I like this. With one, one participant said, um, the article says, part of music's value is, a way, is as a way of expressing oneself better than other ways that one might use. And one participant said, nobody got hurt, didn't cuss nobody out, got a chance to beat on the drum, might have heard a beat, might have made a beat that I like, I'll go back to that beat there. You know, that there's music has this ability to let us express ourselves in a different way that we can't without music. Um, music provides an opportunity to learn something. Uh, coping with the here and the now and the hospitalization because, you know, being hospitalized is no day at the, pic- no day at the picnic. Or no day at the park. I don't remember what the expression is. Um, <laughs> that it provided. I, I'm terrible at mixing my metaphors. So motivation <laughs> and hope, providing connection to others, uh, self-awareness. That that there were lessons for the future. Um, so there are people who can say, you know, I've I can use this as a coping strategy in the future. Um, when things get a little bit stressful, I can go back and I can, you know, use music to help me feel, help me feel better, to deal with that stress. The value of listening, um, self-expression, and negative experiences. Um, one person, and I think it's great that a person actually talked about, you know, that that there can be negative experiences. And this one was. Uh, talked about how, you know, if only we had one person that could master an instrument, something to jazz us up, make us perk up with our instruments. It's our instrument playing. I say we always sound like, I always say we sound like noise. So, you know, again, it's that (laughs) reminder that, remember, the title is Music Therapist. So we need to also be able to make good music because our clients really value that, that there's there's the aesthetic piece of it, too, that... uh, that we can also provide for our clients and that we can encourage in our clients. So, and then if you have ever wondered about how to analyze qualitative data and what qualitative analysis looks like, 
Um, this is an excellent article for you to read. Um, this is one of those articles that I think that we could pair really well with other types of data, especially the other types of data that come up later on in this edition. You know, we're talking about imaging studies and neural mechanisms, um, where you could really take the comment, and, and this one and the and actually the other two articles too, where you can take those vignettes, you can take those comments from participants, you can take those reflections from therapists and pair them with that sort of that, you know, what we call what my science what my what my heart what they call themselves hard science, my hard science friends call, you know, hard data. Um, mm-hmm. So you can pair those two things together and really provide a, a beautiful picture. There's there's one little thing, I have one little nitpicky thing, and that's on page one sixteen. And on page 116, when we, I'm so glad to see somebody start to bring in spirituality and the spirit into these discussions because we really can't divorce those things out from ourselves. We are biopsychosocial spiritual beings. Um, I do think, though, that we really have to move beyond using the definition of spirituality from the dictionary. That's my personal pet peeve, and it's because that's the research that I do. And so I do think that music therapists need to remember to look when we're talking about um, areas that aren't that we aren't necessarily totally familiar with, I know I have to do this. You have to look way outside sometimes your purview. So just that's my little nitpicky thing. But again, it's only because that's where I live, and you know, <laughs> and it's my pet peeve, and that's why they're called pet peeves. <laughs> right. Stop defining like things with the dictionary. <laughs> yes. It's the dictionary is a great place to start. That's why it's the dictionary. You know. But it's like when my son puts his milk, you know, puts leaves the milk out on the counter. You know, it's just it's one of those things. Just Yes. Just gets me. Um, do you want me to talk about the next one? The effects of single session yep. music therapy? Okay. So the next article yeah. we have is from uh, Rachel Markovich. Oh, gosh, I hope I'm going to say this right. And Kazunori Tatsumi, um, who are both practicing music therapists. And I believe uh, Kazunori Tatsumi is a a clinical research specialist. Um, Yeah. And I'm just going to point out, if, if anybody is listening, the first sentence of this article sort of blew me away, and here it is. Each year, nearly 44 million Americans experience a mental illness, and approximately 13 million persons are living with a serious mental illness in the United States. That's, that's kind of mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. That's a lot. That really is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Which kind of makes you, it makes you think we should be maybe a little nicer about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> because more of us are probably dealing with it than we know. Right. Um, okay. So in this particular study, what the researchers did was they um, they recruited folks from a 20-bed acute adult inpatient psych unit at, I'm guessing, probably a large, it says Urban General Hospital on the east coast of the United States. So I'm, I don't know where that is, but I'm going to guess it's probably a fairly sizable hospital if it's got a 20-bed acute uh, unit. 
So they had voluntary and involuntary, involuntarily admitted uh, psych patients. They say that voluntary clients typically were there for one to three days. Involuntary clients remained for about seven to fourteen days. That's that's right up. That's right on par with my hospital. Um, a wide variety of behavioral health issues. So what they looked at was um, they looked at changes on the positive and negative affect schedule, the PANIS. Um, it's a self-report measure, and if you've you've probably seen it in one of your psych classes someplace, if you take abnormal psych, I think they they talk about the PANIS in there. Um, but they had three different interventions that they were looking to see which which of the three was the most effective. And so this was a quasi-experimental study. The first group was the active music group. So they played instruments, they sang, and they did songwriting. Um, they also listened to some audio recordings. So, and then the second group was receptive music group. And this was, um, it looks, the way they describe it is song discussion. Um, so the, it looks like the therapist chose the song and then the, and then the folks talked about it. And then um, each client had an opportunity to choose a song before they discussed it. And then they had a cognitive behavioral therapy group. So they, um, total of 47 people participated. And I don't believe, it says they were a quasi-random allocation design was implemented. So I'm not... That makes me think that the patients got to choose which groups they attended. That's... I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what it makes me think of. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure because they don't explicitly say. Okay, so had their groups uh, filled out the PANIS before and after, do you believe, um, and then ran the beautiful statistics. Who doesn't love an ANOVA? And um, I know. Doesn't look like it in <laughs> Oh, and they did a general linear mixed model too. Those are always good. I have to look up how to do those every time. Okay, so then they then they compared the different groups, um, which is what Anova's helped to do. So the they looked at here's the deal. The receptive music group significantly improved both positive and negative affect within a single session. And I think that's what's unique about, I mean, that's, I think, what's really useful about this study. I didn't say this before. This was a single session study, right, which I know for me, when somebody's an inpatient, that's usually all I see them. It's one time. It's one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, so, when I, yeah, when we're working in inpatient psych, it's one and done, and we typically don't see, it's unusual if we see a patient more than one time. Okay, so the um, the active music group and the cognitive behavioral therapy groups did not have the same kind of responses as that the uh, receptive music group did, which I think is interesting. Um, there was a significant improvement um, when the music groups were combined, and honestly. 
when all of the three groups were combined, there was a significant improvement in positive affect, which makes sense, right? So the whole idea here is that we expect people to get better with some kind of therapeutic intervention. So all these <laughs> these three groups had had a therapeutic intervention. They all got a little bit better, um, you know, at least a little bit better. But the group that seemed to have the most improvement um, was this receptive music group, which I'm going to, you know, I want to kind of make a suggestion because, yeah, they're not, it's, they're not actively making music, but when I think of receptive music therapy, I and mean, this could be because I spend a lot of time in hospice, you know, and a lot of my patients are actively dying when I'm working with them. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I, so in my head, that's like, that's receptive music therapy. <laughs> right. When my, they do nothing you know, really but listen. <laughs> Yeah, when my, yeah, I mean, when I, and I'm, you know, but we're working on things like regulate, you know, we're working on really basic physiological things, regulating breathing, you know, um, trying mm-hmm. to create a soothing environment in which the person can die. So that's very different. Right. Um, so I think my, in my picture of what is receptive music therapy is, is very different than from what they meant to say. Because for me, if you have people who are still engaging, and I, and I understand that they're, um, their, you know, their ideas come come from Gardstrom and Hiller, um, you know, great music therapists. So, right. But to me, that's, I mean, you're still doing something. So I, I think the danger in calling something like receptive music therapy, and I, I don't know, I think in this age of putting iPods on people and calling it music therapy. Right. Um, I think there's the danger, uh, right, because and this has come up a lot recently. We produce this research, but we can't control how other people use it. Right. And I think there's just a little bit of danger in saying, well, receptive music therapy, you know, was the most effective. When, in fact, this is still very much an active therapeutic process that is being... Right. There's a relationship involved with the yeah. therapist. Yeah. yeah, that's being facilitated by, you know, a board-certified music therapist. There's clearly a therapeutic relationship. Yeah, it clearly meets the definition for music therapy. Well, the other thing yeah. that struck me that I wondered about uh, is that uh, it, it, because it was just a single session, there wasn't a whole lot of time to create that comfort in the group to where they yeah. be more comfortable making music or writing songs or playing instruments. So I wonder if that's had an effect too. Yeah, because, I mean, as you know, when you're working with people, you know, you kind of have to warm them up to actually actively making music with each other. And I, I know in a lot of our sessions, you know, we start with um, – we will start with a relaxation exercise or, you know, something else just to kind of warm people up to get them comfortable with each other and to get them comfortable with you. And I do. I wonder if some of that might have played a part in, you know, the results too. And they, they talk about that in the limitations mm-hmm. of the in the limitations of the study too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you got all the typical, the typical issues too. It's a small sample size, um, which makes it, which makes the you know statistics always a little bit harder to interpret because you don't have a big sample size, um, so you have right, right. you know bigger issues with potentially finding something that's not there or potentially not finding something that is there. Um, but yeah, right. but I do think um, that they're right in their conclusion that they say, you know, 
that music therapy interventions within a single session can have a positive impact, you know, can have an effect exactly. on positive negative mood. So I I just, I think it's a great study. Um, I think it would, I think it's one that would be really good to, to replicate, you know, to replicate and see mm-hmm. what the other samples are, we you know what the other results are, or, you know, make it a multi-site study where you've got mm-hmm. multiple places doing the same thing so you can really look and see, you know, what are, what's the data? What does the data tell us? So, but a good, well, but a good uh, first step. Yes. We have less than 15 minutes left of oh my our ability to talk and oh a gosh. lot of articles to go through. So we okay. better speed through the end of this. All right. All right. Do you so want to do, you wanna do the I, neural I mechanisms? Think, well... <laughs> I think that what we should say is great article by somebody that I'm super excited is going to medical school, so we will finally have an MD, MT um, out fighting the good fight. I actually don't know if there are any other ones. I've I've never met another music therapist who is also a medical doctor. Um, okay, so let's explain that you're talking about Alexander Leger, Leger. And Don't he's know. got his, his master his master of music therapy from Loyola University in New Orleans and mm-hmm. is completing his internship at Beth Abraham Nursing Home and Rehabilitation Center. And he is beginning medical school in the fall. And he wrote this so, article on the neural met- I know. I'm excited to see his progress. On the neural Me mechanisms too. of music therapy in mental health care, literature review and clinical implications. And uh, I'm kind of into literature reviews at the moment because I just graded 10 of them for a final project <laughs> in a music psychology class. So. I have 17 of them waiting to be graded. Woohoo! <laughs> so I like this one. I have. Uh, so Megan's been doing a lot of the talking for the first half of the show, be, or actually most of the show, because uh, I started at the back of the edition and read backwards, and I didn't read a whole lot of the first half of this book. Uh, but I plan to go back and read it some more. So um, anyway, this this uh, literature review is. Um, I've lost my place in my notes. Um, it reveals a relationship between music therapy, the neurobiology of emotions, and the therapeutic relationship. There's a really nice glossary of neurology terms that's in the back of this article that will be useful for music therapists to understand, plus a picture of the brain showing some of the structures. It's a really simplified picture of the brain showing the, lo- the Which general location. Which I am totally location. using in Psychomusic next semester. Yes. And um, there's a table with evidence-suggested neural mechanisms involved in music therapy and the implications for mental health treatment. So this article, I think, would be good to read because I feel like it's going to explain some neurology in a useful way, an and the next, way. And the next article is very much like it. Again, um, since I don't know how to pronounce his last name, I'm just going to call him Alexander. Um, what, what, Alexander? Go be awesome. And this is the neuro. I'm just so excited about an MDMT um, neurologic research on music therapy for mental health. And I am going to tell you that there is a beautiful table. One is a beautiful chart that explains to you what the different um, neuroimaging methods are, what they do, what they look for, 
Um, the cost. <laughs> the cost. <laughs> the portability. And I have to tell you, I just saw the latest in EEG technology, and it is unbelievably simple and portable and shockingly cheap. Um, <laughs> and I can't. I and I can't wait to play with it. Um, but yeah, I, I if you have questions about and again I will be using this next semester in my psychology of music class. If you have questions about what the different types of brain measurement tools are, um, what it looks like when you're having one done, or what the results look like, this is a great article. I would really, um, honestly, I would commend this to anybody, to all music therapists, but especially students who are taking psychology of music. You should definitely read this one because I think it will well, help you plus, understand a lot. Plus it, it suggests the types of research questions that can be best addressed by each type of imaging. Yes. So I think that's going to be useful to people that have access to such things for research. Absolutely. All right, and then the last article in this section on mental health is a mixed-method survey of professional perspectives of music therapy practice in mental health by Lillian Ayer, Dr. Ayer, and Jin Hyung Lee, Dr. Lee. Um, and uh, this study, no, this article reported the, the findings of a survey of music therapists that work in mental health. Mm-hmm. So... I think it would be interesting to see. It talks about job satisfaction and uh, growth of the field and research items and topics of interest and, and just basic Specialized needs. training. Yeah, of people that work in this field. Um, all right. So then we have the two student research awards. The Undergraduate Student Research Award was written and, and uh, earned, I guess, by Stephanie Strauss, She's earning her Bachelor of Music and Music Therapy at Elizabethtown College, and her professor, Jean-Anne Behrens, Dr. Behrens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I really like this article. Uh, it surveyed, it, in this, she surveyed 11 out of the 12 music therapists that work with women survivors of sex trafficking. She stated that there's a very small number of people that work with this population, and this population has a a significant need that can be addressed by music therapy. And I thought that this seemed like a very ambitious topic for an undergraduate student. It did seem to be Mm -hmm. influenced by her professor, as this aligns with her interests, as stated in the little bio at the bottom of the article. But uh, it looks like a really great study on an important area of need. And it was well-written and pretty easy to read. And I thought that the categories in this, the, it's one page, one page, and there's categories and short paragraphs within each category that really outline the, a research article. So I thought it would be a nice way to introduce the consumption of research to students. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And this is this was particularly. Oh, go ahead. I have a number of students who are really excited about this particular one because uh, sex trafficking is is uh, an area, unfortunately, of uh, concern in the state of North Dakota. So. Oh yeah. All right. So we have like less than five minutes. So I'm going to speed through the rest okay. of this. Um, All right. The the next one is the AMTA Graduate Student Research Award by Hyung Jung Lee, and I'm, I apologize for butchering your name. Ms. Lee, she's a doctoral candidate at the University of Miami. And um, 
this article, unfortunately, was a little less easy to read than the undergraduate. Um, this study looked at the perception of uh, at the music perception skills of children with autism spectrum disorder, and uh, I had difficulty finding the relevance. I mean, I, I do think that understanding how people with autism perceive music is relevant, um, but just the the study was pretty dry. It used a you know a, a music based attention assessment. Uh, which is a 36-item melodic contour identification test, and had some other subtests in it. And it was just it just read pretty dry, um, so it was hard to immediately apply the findings or the information in this article to things that are relevant to me in my practice currently. Um, but I feel like it's good basic. Uh, it's a base information. It's a base research study to help promote other information and in other research studies too. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Hockvort, okay, sorry, Lorian from the Netherlands. I can't pronounce names from the Netherlands very well, but she wrote a really interesting article called Rap Music Therapy in Forensic Psychiatry, Emphasis on the Musical Approach to Rap. And this article explained in a really clear way how to incorporate rap music into a music therapy practice, including how a music therapist could study rap to gain fluency and understanding of that genre. And as a white girl, I appreciated this article a lot because it made it, mm-hmm. um, it made it, it made it a lot more understandable. And I liked how she outlined the treatment protocol very clearly. And it made me think about how I might apply a similar protocol to other types of work that I might do. Plus it gives me some hope that I could potentially incorporate rap into my own treatment repertoire and uh, she did give some suggestions on types of, uh, or where to, like, what kind of rap an artist to listen to as you get started yeah. in your journey with that. And, and if then you want the, to listen to something last... really interesting, you should listen to the the musical Hamilton. Sorry. Oh, yeah? If you want a good introduction to rap, listen to Hamilton. Okay, good to know. So the last article was written by Dr. James Gardner and Dr. Javon Horwitz, who are at the they're so Dr. Gardner is a is a neuropsychologist and uh they're both neuropsychologists. Yep. Working in South Dakota. Um, and one's in Indiana. And oh okay. Dr. Gardner's in South Dakota and he said that there's lots yep. of jobs in South Dakota for music therapists, so move there and talk, contact him. Uh neurologic yes, music there therapy are. And then contact and group. me. <laughs> And, and group psychotherapy for treatment of traumatic brain injury, evaluation of a cognitive rehabilitation group. And I've said before that I'm a huge fan of Dr. Gardner, and I attend any presentation that he gives, regardless of what the topic is, because he's, he's a fascinating presenter. So I was looking forward to this article. He, The authors describe their treatment pretty well, which would make it fairly easy to get treatment ideas if you were working with patients that have traumatic brain injuries or other neurological disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might also use this information from this article if I were working with any population that was working on cognition skills because he describes the NMT techniques for cognition in a really clear way um, with great examples. So there, I think we did it. Woo! Way to go. Thank you for another Excellent uh, journal club, and I'm looking forward to our next journal club next month. 
I know. I think we're going to have to ask the editorial board, though, to stop making them so thick. It makes it hard to get through them in our, a lot of time. I know. Could you just print like two or three articles, and then we could read them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll get just right kidding. on it. <laughs> we're kidding, Dr. Meadows. Yes. <laughs> All right. We think you're Thank wonderful. you so much. <laughs> we do. Thank you, Megan. Uh, I enjoyed this, even though I didn't get to get through all of the articles. I, I know what to go back for, and I want to hear how you use this in your your class so that I can incorporate it into my class next the semester after yours. Um, Will do. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back in January, so have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. <laughs>